my whole life I've been working for other people and I've had this sense of like restraint in my ideas, you know, maybe I should censor how I'm saying this or what emotional uh, depth I go for in this conversation to get this point across. And it took starting my own business for me to realize that when I'm at the top, I am powerful. Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen. This episode is sponsored by Age Up. Did you know that one in three 65-year-olds live into their 90s, but few can afford it? Age Up provides supplemental income to help fill in the financial gaps that come with a long life. To find out more, visit age-up.com. Did you know that since 2007, the number of firms owned by African-American women has increased by 164%? However, the access to capital for women of color is challenging with only a small percentage of the 2% of venture capital funds that go to women in general going to black and brown business owners. My guests today are Parker McMullen Bushman and Crystal Eagley, the founders of Inclusive Journeys, a web-based platform providing resources for people of marginalized communities to identify safe and welcoming business spaces. Today, we're going to talk about their big idea, which I'm excited to hear about, and their experience as women entrepreneurs in pursuit of funding. So welcome, Parker and Crystal, to the podcast. Thank Hi. you. We're really excited to be here today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I'm excited to have both of you here. I know we did a little pre-call and I just got all jazzed up about this topic and about learning more about both of you and learning about your business. So let's start with Inclusive Journeys. Where did you get this great idea? And then tell the listeners what that is, because I know, but they might not know. Sure. This is Crystal. And one of the things that was the impetus for both Parker and I to be really jazzed about this is the idea of outdoor access that feels safe and welcoming to people of any identity, really. And the thing that got me really thinking about this idea specifically was when I started learning to hunt. So uh, as a woman of color, I have experienced bias in, in many spaces, uh, felt uncomfortable in many spaces, but I kind of just internalized it and it became normal. And I was like, well, this is just how it is. And, you know, sometimes I speak up and sometimes I just leave. But when I started walking around with a firearm, things got a little bit different. And my hunting mentor was uh, a white male and I was telling him I was feeling nervous about going to public land and he was like, why? And I was like, oh, um, here are some reasons I'm uncomfortable. And then he was asking, where's the data to, to, to show that, that that level of anxiety is warranted? And I was like, well, how much data do you need? Like, do you need 10 people to, to 
be harmed or die? Do you need a hundred? Do you need a thousand? And so I started thinking about ways to collect data that we could make a make a data-driven case for for change in spaces, but also at the same time provide a service in return to the people of marginalized identities. We could have just sent out a survey, right? But what does that actually do? And how do people know we're going to do something with that? So the idea for the digital green book project that we're doing is to have a space, a website where we can collect those experiences in terms of data um, and analyze it instead of spending all that emotional energy and reinforcing that trauma that happens. We now have data that can provide an economic incentive for a space or a business to, to think about changing how they treat people. And at the same time, we're providing a service to the people we're getting that data from. So it's very important to us to be able to have a mechanism that collects data, but at the same time is, is instantly usable by that person. I think it's great. We're going to get to you in a minute, Parker, but I do have to respond to one thing, which is, it's going to seem off topic, but for anybody who listens to me, I don't know. I'm very curious about how you got into hunting and, and what the purpose of hunting is. And I may take us down this path we don't want to go, but I can't get it out of my head. So tell me, Crystal, just briefly, hunting? Help me out. Yeah. So I, if you asked me a couple of years ago, I would have had the same question for future crystal would have been like are you serious like you hate firearms you do not like killing things like <laughs> and so i actually started hanging out with a lot of hunters at work for colorado parks and wildlife and i actually started a work project where i filmed myself hunting for about a year and a half and then edited it into a series and i actually discovered that i don't love hunting and killing animals is horrible like it feels terrible but i was having this incredible incredible connection to my food that I never had before. And so what I, I don't want to like go out and like murder bunnies, but like what I do want is that connection to my food now. And that was super surprising to me. I thought I was going to hunt once and be like, oh, I'm going to cry forever. And now I'm, I, I love sourcing my own meat instead of buying it from a store. That actually works for me. <laughs> um, because I'm all to, I'm all about farm to table and being local and and you know it, it's unfortunate although it's a reality that as a woman of color you had to feel that level of anxiety and I love that you're channeling that along with Parker into this idea which is a really cool idea so Parker tell me how you got involved was it from the get go or was it something that Crystal brought to you. Yeah, it was, uh, I got involved pretty early on, but it was Crystal's original idea, and she called me up one night, I was coming home from work, it was late and dark, and I pulled into my driveway and picked up the phone, and she's like, I have an idea, but I'm not sure, you know, if I, I need to bounce it off of someone to see if it is genius or off the wall. And she began to tell me about it. And I was like, no, this is genius. This is amazing. And there was like a 30 second pause where I was like, are you still there? Is this, <laughs> are, did you hang up because it's bad? <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like stunned in my vehicle, staring into the darkness, just thinking about how this is going to change the world, right? And Crystal then called me back a few days later and asked if I would be, if I would want to come on and partner with her. 
and go in uh, basically founding this. And we had a, a breakfast brunch meeting, got away from the kids. We're both moms, working moms. And it's like a Sunday brunch and started to talk about it all and lay it out and really think about where it could go. We're like, okay, you know, it started as an idea of just maybe uh, an ongoing listing, right? And then we're like, wait, we could really source, crowdsource data, right, uh, about these safe locations. And we can have the community members that use these locations really speak to them and uh, submit locations where they feel safe. We can also have users base users rate businesses on whether they felt safe, welcomed, celebrated. We could list things like, is this business accessible to people with wheelchairs? Does it provide accommodations for people who are uh, blind or people who are deaf? You know, is it safe for people who are non-gender conforming or transgender? And so people could start to list these things and kind of create a site that's like a Yelp for inclusivity, right? But we didn't even stop there because then we were like, how do we support businesses? Businesses who may not know, they might look at that rating and say, I had no idea that people felt uncomfortable in this space, right? And now that I know, what can I do to change? And so we want to provide resources for business. We want to provide data um, so that businesses can say, oh, my inclusivity rating is down. And I'm, I can now see that it is majority women who are saying they don't feel safe in this space. And they're saying it's because of kind of sexist depiction of women in pictures on that we've decorated our walls with, right? So now businesses have not only concrete data, but action that they can take to make their businesses more welcoming. Well, and what I love about this concept and I love about your business model is the idea that it's inclusive in itself, right? It's not just the people who are buying the services, it's not just the businesses, it's both and the connection between them. And that it's talking about all sorts of diversity and inclusion, especially inclusion. And so what I'm curious about is what has the reaction been to date when you have gone for funding? And you know, does it ring true to what that statistic I opened the show with in that there's very little access for women, let alone very little access for women of color. So whoever wants to kind of chime in and, and tell us what it's been like to try to fundraise. Yeah, it's been interesting. You know, when uh, just a month or two ago, when we started having protests, right, and this conversation kind of awakened in the American consciousness about race, it's been there, right? But now people are like starting to pay attention. Crystal called me up and was like, we have to we need to go, go, go. Like we've been talking about this for a year. Uh, here's an opportunity. People need this. This conversation is out there. We need to go. And so we said, okay, let's do a GoFundMe. And we set it up and we had a goal, an initial goal for it. And when 
we put the GoFundMe out, we got an amazing response. People, uh, within two weeks, we had made our first goal. People have given up and above that goal now. We are not quite halfway to our second goal, but people are still giving. The idea has really captured, I think, the imagination of, of a lot of people. And we get emails from people who want to help. We get uh, comments from people on our posts that are like, this would be good for this and this and that. And have you considered all of these things? So people are excited, right? That's the general public. But when we start thinking about early on, we we're like, okay, we need to take this next step and maybe start looking for investors. And that was not as easy, right? Because when you talk about investment, private investors or venture capitalists, right? How do you get access to those type of people? And usually it's through community and who you know. And if you are not a part of a community that has a venture capitalist in your back pocket, then, you, then you're not in that no. And what else is really interesting is when people talk to us about our business and which is a tech startup, right? And potentially helping with our business, they always, they're always asking, are we a nonprofit? And they want to give us funds that are through a grant that you would give to a nonprofit or thinking, oh, if you're a nonprofit, then we can give you some type of charity fund. But we're not a nonprofit, we're a business. So I'm going to jump in here. So why do you think that they are viewing you or viewing this as a nonprofit opportunity? It doesn't make sense to me, but what do you think that's about? <laughs> We've been asking ourselves that, you know, and we wonder if it's because we're women or if we, it's because we're women of color or if they think, oh, if it is something that is for the social good, then it needs to be a nonprofit. But there are so many corporations that are for the social good that are for profit. But we can see it. Sometimes we have, we've had interviews where people have asked us, so do you plan to like give this to a bigger corporation that can maybe do something more with it or take it to the next level. And, you know, we just kind of, we look at each other and we're like, oh, are you really asking this question now? Because we, we are going to be a corporation, right? We're incorporating now from an LLC. We are looking at growing this to the next level. That, that's the idea that we have, and we have the capacity and the ability to take it there. But I think when people look at us, they, they don't see that, they don't think that, right? They, oh, are you gonna give it to somebody else? Or even like that veiled understanding of, are you going to give it to a white-led corporation. Well, that's what I wanted to jump in about because yeah. I'm sitting here and and so, you know, my perspective of the world and my experience is probably different than both of you in your experiences, although we do have some similarities. One of you grew up in Vermont. I didn't grow up in Vermont, but I <laughs> in And so, you know, I'm sitting here and as you're talking, I, I'm frustrated and I, the frustration comes from, I really do think that there is a part of this that is kind of like the metaphorical patting on the head of the white male 
banker, excuse all the white male bankers that I work with, some are very gender savvy, some are not, but the ones that are patting you on the head going, oh, you know, that's a great idea. When's a guy going to take it over? And then yeah. that added layer of being two women of color, it just, it makes it even more infuriating to me. Now, have you received this feedback from other people of color or does it primarily come from white men and women? That type of power dynamic is one of the reasons why we intentionally seeked out uh, a team of black female lawyers and the difference talking to black female, a team of black female lawyers was incredible. Like I had, it was the first time I'd been talking to people in those positions of power where I didn't feel like even a hint of patronizing. And it's not that everyone is intentional about it. It's just like, there's so much that we all come from and are inundated with, with the media. It could be conscious and it could be totally unconscious, but these biases are there. And the, the, the biases on, on all side, everybody has, has biases, conscious and unconscious. And so the, the feeling that I, I, I got for the first time um, speaking with these black female lawyers, I like, I like said to my white husband, I was like, is this how you feel in like all your meetings? And he was like, I think you're describing what I feel in like just my life. Yeah. And I'm like, this is amazing. A lot of us are working at having this conversation and doing a better job, but we have so far to go. And so I'm so glad that you found a team that you felt safe with, because no matter who you are, no matter how you identify what you're racial background is, your sexual orientation, how you identify gender-wise, it's so important to find team that you're safe with because building a business, you are vulnerable. It is your baby and there are ways in which you want to protect it. And I so, think other people are yeah. aware of these power dynamics because one of the first things people say is that is an incredible business model and an incredible idea. Have you talked to Oprah or Michelle Obama? And I'm like, really? Those are your two investors that you think are for us? Like that's, so, so everyone seems to be somehow aware of this, but no one really talks about it. And I think also, you know, there is that, like if you, I think about people who are, have been in our positions at this starting point and where they've been able to either have investment from their community or their family. I think about, when you're starting Yelp, when you're starting Facebook, right? Did people say, let us take this idea from you and give it to someone bigger? Or can we help you grow, right? When we come to someone, we want to make sure that when we are speaking to someone that we are seen and respected and that we are, you are working with us for this idea, not that someone is going to take this idea <laughs> and and do something else with it, right? Yeah. And that's very important to us. So what have you two learned? And you probably have separate answers, but what have you two learned about yourself as you're advocating for your business and this idea and bringing this baby into the world? This I got something. Yeah. <laughs> so my whole life I've been working for other people and I've had this sense of like restraint in my ideas, you know, maybe I should censor how I'm saying this or what emotional uh, depth I go for in this conversation to get this point across. And it took starting my own business for me to realize that when I'm at the top, 
I am powerful. I am heard. I am respected and my ideas are awesome. Like, like to hear people just constantly tell me like, wow, that's actually a really good idea. And I'll be like, what about this? And they're like, wow, what about that? As opposed to constantly being checked and being like, well, you know, I don't think our organization is ready for this, or I don't think we should push that hard. Being at the top, like I had to start my own business to get that sense of respect, to get that sense of confidence and get that sense of, I am a powerful black woman who can do this. I had to start my own company. And that to me, I was, I was telling my husband, I was like, I am never going back. I am never going back to feeling that way when I know how it can feel in this way because I am worthy of this and I can do it. Well, in my sense of it is, you know, I think being an entrepreneur, I've been an entrepreneur for 20 years, there is something incredibly empowering about it. And, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking you're going to create a firm or, or a company or you're going to role model to other women that mm -hmm. look like you that you don't have to wait to be in charge to feel confident and powerful. Mm -hmm. I hope so. Yeah. And how about you, Parker? Anything to add about what you kind of learned about yourself while you've been advocating for this business? I think that, hmm, you know, you, you talked about what I have learned about myself and I keep turning to things that I feel like I've learned about others in my community, <laughs> which is not going to be the answer to your question, but I'm still going to say it. Um, through this process, I feel that I have learned that people, people are really looking for this, this data. People want to be able to have the power to shift our economy, to have the power to shift kind of the way that we, we do things, and especially around equity and inclusion. And so, I feel, and that hypes me up. That makes me really excited uh, to hear people say, you know, to have a mechanism for either choosing where I spend my dollars, right? Or to have a mechanism for having greater insight into what my community needs as a business owner would be, you know, so powerful to me. Uh, to hear that makes me really excited and gives me a lot of hope for where we can can go as a society. Yeah, I think there is a, I think that even just learning, you know, I was introduced to you by somebody that I knew and we hit it off right away and the entrepreneurship and the excitement and also unfortunately the topic today and, and what brings us together is also being women and having experiences in a male dominated business and what that's like and certainly how compli more complicated it can be for the two of you than it can be for someone who looks like me. And so one of the things I'm curious about is as the listeners who are listening in today who are white, are privileged, men and women, because we have listeners of both genders, what can they do? Maybe one thing that you can think of that they could do to advocate for women of color who are entrepreneurs? What everyone can do, right, is having an understanding of how implicit bias and unconscious bias really affects the way that they interact with, with people and the way they perceive potential in people or perceive that folks know and understand what they, what they are doing. I think that it is so important and to talk 
to others ab about it. Because when we say that we have no bias, when we say that, that that's not me, right? I, I don't have that issue then we everyone has bias, right? So it's really important to address it and we are cutting off then our ability to perceive what that might be and how we might be affecting the lives of, of those around us. The other thing that I'm thinking that people can do is they can invest if that crowdfunding is still open. Uh, are you still crowdfunding or have you moved to a different type of model? Yeah. Yes. So I would say take a chance. And one of the ways that um, I've outlined that can be a really good way to do it is what Fat Tire did with us. Um, I don't know if you saw that blog post, but they did an incredible job of showing up for us and doing something for us and then asking us after all that work was done and they gave us a $5,000 donation, asked us if this was okay to go ahead with using, supporting our business as a call to action as part of another project. And it was an incredible way to show up instead of coming at us saying like, hey, we want a partner, like, can we promote you and like brag about like how involved we are and gave you $5,000. They gave us the money, they drafted a plan. They said, all you have to do is sign off or say no, keep the money. Yep. And then you know what happened? We went out and we promoted the heck out of them because it was an incredible way to show up for us that didn't involve us um, having hours of meetings, them like, they just believed in us and believed in our, our goal. And so I'd suggest people take a look at that blog post because it really outlines how Fat Tire like did it a really amazing way for us. Well, and I'll put that link to the blog in the show notes so people can easily access that. But I think the bottom line is what you're saying is don't just write a check. Show up, believe, do the work, collaborate, that it isn't just writing a check and feeling good. Yes, exactly. But you can also write a check yeah. because yeah, we, we are, are still we are still accepting yeah. Uh, yeah. GoFundMe donations. We are trying to make it to our next level of 100000 dollars and are at about 40 and so you know really are trying to keep the momentum going trying to keep people excited about this and have actually begun with our web team the design of it and so we're really excited and i just left my full-time job my last day is in a couple of weeks and to focus on this full-time because this is a full-time job. Yes, and yes. Uh, so if anyone just wants to like, you know, write me a check, that'd be great. <laughs> so we are accepting investments. Yes. And um, Invest. you know, that, that's one of the things I wanted to fit in before we go. I could talk with you two about this all day because it's as an entrepreneur and as somebody who is really trying to do better and realize where my biases are and have conversations that I might not have had a couple years ago. But one of the things that, you know, I realized is you both have side hustles and I'm glad that you're letting go of one because having been an entrepreneur for so long, I can tell you it is a full-time job. And at one point, I think all, a lot of us do 50-50, you know, I'm in this business that pays, I'm getting a check and I have a new business I want to launch. And I did a similar thing. And eventually when you take that leap, I don't know how it feels for you. It felt a little scary for me, but then it also feels so freeing because it's just, there's so much work to be done to develop a business. 
Yeah, and that's a privilege that's not afforded to everybody. So Parker and I have had many long talks and we've worked out a way that I can continue to, you know, pay my bills and my daughter to daycare and be able to work on this full time. But like that was only able to be afforded to one of us, you know, because there there isn't a way right now where we can get ourselves far enough off the ground to both quit and go all in. And that's something that I think people don't often, or there's opportunities missed with people who don't have have those privileges where people could be completely missing out on the next big thing because it's like, well, you need to get to here, but they still have to do that job to pay their bills and they just can't take that next leap. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. And, you know, I want to have each of you just leave the listeners with one piece of advice. It could be about being an entrepreneur. It could be about diversity and inclusion. What would you like to leave our listeners with? Just one tip. I would say don't give up. If you are, it's it's a really hard thing too, because there's a lot of privilege in saying don't give up and not everyone can keep going, but whatever pace you have to go at, be it crawling, walking, skipping, running, or you know, bobsled speed really fast. Just don't give up. Keep going. Uh, A lot of times it's the system that is the issue and not you. You could be doing all of the right things and just there's something about the system that is holding, holding you back. But if you're at this level, it's probably not you. Like just keep going. I also would say look for your moment. So, you know, we had been talking about this for a while since last year and really trying to figure out how to get our momentum going and then saw a moment that we were able to seize that really catapulted us. And so look for those those moments, that time when what you're dreaming of is really brought up into consciousness or uh, people are talking about it or whatever and then get yourself out there and don't be afraid to to really bolster yourself up and to put yourself out there for folks i love that never give up and look for your moment i am so honored to know you before because you might be like the next google and i'll be like i interviewed him on my podcast (laughs) And then they're everywhere. So keep us posted. I am so happy to have this conversation with you. And thanks for breaking money silence with me. Thank Thank you. you. This episode is sponsored by Age Up. Did you know that one in three 65-year-olds live into their 90s, but few can afford it? Age Up provides supplemental income to help fill in the financial gaps that come with a long life. To find out more, visit age-up.com. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information, or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.